0: Okay, um, so scripture reading is from um, Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. Okay, so husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church himself, uh, the church to herself in splendor, without spots or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husband should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wives loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband.
1: We are in part eight of our series on Christ-centered singleness and marriage and for the first three we talked more about singleness and um, about just the meaning of marriage itself. And for these last several months, we finally started getting into the the meat of what it means to be married. And just to to give you a little bit of orientation, we first talked about the definition of marriage. We have talked about its engine, what powers marriage. We have talked about the priority of marriage. And we have talked about this, this thing that the Bible mysteriously calls one flesh And in the one flesh, what are some of the things that make this deep unity, this deep oneness? We talked about um, the deep friendship of marriage. We talked about life-giving. And last week, we talked about um, a sort of subject of one flesh. We talked about sanctification. Today, we're going to continue that discussion about sanctification. And what does sanctification mean? It means becoming new, becoming changed, growing and becoming more in the image of God as God intended us to be. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to take deeper into about this aspect of sanctification and particularly about something that I think is a very important insight called the covenantal voice. Um, just a little bit, uh, just to whet your appetite, next week, so uh, we're going to talk about this, uh, this uh, very important subject called sex. <laughs> so some of you might want to know about that. That's next week. Um, two weeks from now, Um, We'll talk about this very controversial and unpopular subject today. Why is the wife um, commanded to submit to her husband, that he is the head, and she is the body, and she is to submit to him? We're going to talk about the authority structure within marriage. That's two weeks from now. And three weeks from now, we're going to talk about um, there's a lot of issues that are happening in our culture where I think there's a lot of blind spots in our society about what is the role of the man? What is the role of the woman? Manhood and woman—it's very broken in our society. And I'm going to um, talk about some pretty controversial subjects uh, three weeks from now. And so you can show up and, and see if I blow up on one of those bombs and, and then people will, you know, like, start saying bad stuff to me on the Internet, okay? <laughs> that's three weeks from now. Um, and then we'll have one final message on the deep theological meaning of marriage. I think that's, that's a good way to wrap up our series. Um, that would be... Uh, on the 4th of July weekend. Okay, so that's, that's what's coming up. Today, washing and the covenantal voice in three parts. Uh, it's, it's not a hard outline. Part one, washing and being washed. It says here in the scriptures, we, we are to wash. What does that mean? Washing and being washed. Part two, the power of the covenantal voice. The power of the covenantal voice. And part three, renewing and being renewed renewing and being renewed okay now let me ask you to go to scripture what portion in this passage it says this strange and remarkable thing it says husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and then here's the word here's that word sanctified that he might sanctify her sanctification what does sanctification mean Sanctification, as Pastor Young defined it for you, is to become made more and more in the image of God. It actually is another way of putting it, it's to become more deeply human. <laughs> or how about just another way of putting it? How about it means to change? <laughs> I mean, um, the, I think it's sort of the secular way of talking about it. Are people who, who don't believe in God don't use these types of theological words. They all know that we should grow as people. Well, I need to grow and change. That's part of what it means that he might sanctify her. But then he goes on to say this. That he, this is Jesus, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, washing, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy, become holy. That's sanctification. And, um, uh, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about washing. We're talking about cleansing. We're talking about through the washing and the cleansing, we're talking about nourishing. Now, let me just back up for just a moment. Um, Uh, Do do most of you wash and shower before you came? Maybe I won't ask you to raise your hand because some of you who didn't, you know, might be embarrassed and not raise your hand, okay? Um, I hope you all wash yourselves, right? Um, Your body, it's strange because your body is a part of you, and yet it's you. Isn't that strange? Your body is something you can talk about as if it's like something else, but at the same time, it's really you. (laughs) Your body is you. It's so intimately a part of you, I mean, that it's, it's really you, but it's something else. And in that way, that's the deep, deep and profound unity of marriage itself. Your wife is someone else, but really, actually, if you really understand the, the depth of marriage itself, she may be your wife, but actually she's you. She's like you. That's what one flesh means. That's how profound the meaning means. One flesh means you're more like one person. I mean, you, that may be a different person, but really you can't be separated. You're that deeply unified. And think about what it's like when you wash yourself. Um, you know, we all have these things. It's a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing. You guys know what the any such things are, right? Like dirt, <laughs> like uh, um, things that you don't see but cause you to smell. <laughs> Um, things in your hair that make it greasy and oily. <laughs> and these are the things, and you, this is the stuff that gets on our bodies as we just live our life. This, the dirt, and then the grime. And there's other things when you wash, it's, it's, a, it's a very intimate and private thing, is it not? I mean, you take off all your clothes. And... Um, and there's places of your body you look at you're like, ugh, I'm glad nobody's seeing that part of my body. That's the, the part that's a little too wrinkly or a little more flabby or fatter than we'd like it to be, right? And washing, when you do this, you know all those places on your body. You look at it and you clean that part out. And you know all the things that you have to do. And it's a very deep and intimate thing that we're doing. But when you marry when you marry, you're actually inviting somebody else to come into your life and do, wash you. <laughs> this very intimate act that you do usually on your own. Now, if anybody, have you, now, if, okay, you're not supposed to have sex before you have married, so I hope you haven't had a shower with anybody <laughs> before you got married. Or maybe you have a shower with your wife or husband, and it's a, you know, a sexy and romantic thing. And if you do, awesome, great, more power to you. Um, but let me ask you this question. Have you ever let anybody bathe you? <laughs> I'm not talking about when you're a baby, but when you're older, like you're a full-on adult. And have you ever let anybody bathe you or wash you? Um, and not because it was sexy, but because you needed it? Have you ever anybody, done that? It's kind of scary. And I can actually speak from personal experience. Um, many years ago, I got very seriously ill, and I almost died in the hospital and I had a period of rehab. I won't go into that, but um, when I, um, when I was recovering, I, I didn't have balance. And so I could barely walk and I couldn't stand straight. And so if I was in the shower, I could it could I could easily fall. And um, so for a period of about a month or so, my wife actually had to bathe me. <laughs> and so we had we had this special chair that doesn't rust that we got from, you know you know these, these rehab folks and um, the insurance paid for this, and then we put this chair in the bathtub, and my wife would have to shower me, and um, you know, and it's kind of scary, actually. (laughs) It's kind of scary because you know all the places on your body that are soft, and are vulnerable, and that hurt, and you know, when you go there, it's just, you know exactly so very well how to be gentle, and you know the parts that need extra special hard scrubbing, you know, all those things. And yet, um, imagine if someone else were to do that for you. And yet, that is precisely what is supposed to happen in marriage. This is what's going on. This is what the sanctification, cleansing process. And you're doing this for somebody else. And guess what? Whoever you marry, you're saying, you do this for me. <laughs> That's, this is what's at stake when you get married. So there's some implications I want to I share with you. Number one, um, first, there's, a, there's this thing that I hear a lot, of, a lot of people say, especially when they're in their dating stage or before they ever get married, this is what they say. I wanna, you're, we're looking for someone that is perfectly compatible. And what we mean by someone who's really compatible to me, usually, and I hear people say this, I want someone who just knows me so well, they just accept me for who I am, and that's the person I'm looking for. And so we're looking for this person that we think is just so perfect for us. And then when we meet this person, they're just going to know us all the way deep down the inside. And they're like, you don't have to change. You're just great. I just accept you for who you are. And so what we mean by perfectly compatible is I don't have to change. That's what we're really saying. <laughs> we say the person you want to marry is the person that won't change me but let me say this is the first implication. If this is the way you're approaching marriage, or let's say approaching dating, or you want to be married one day if you're single, or if you're married and you have this thinking and this attitude and this expectation, please, you're in really serious trouble. That's your, right away, you're frustrating exactly what marriage is for. Marriage is actually intended to change you, grow you. You're actually inviting someone to see the dirt, to smell your bad smell. And I know this is obviously we're doing this uh, literally, but I'm talking in the more deeper way, the dirt in your soul, the things that you're ashamed of in your heart and in your life. Um, You know, a lot of you know that I like to draw from Pastor Timothy Keller, and, and one of the things he says, when you get married... You're just humiliated all the time <laughs> because now, before, when you had a roommate or even your mom and dad, I mean, your mom and dad just let you just have your own bedroom. I mean, your roommate, you're you sharing the space, but it was never this intimate. You, you, they can't see the, the, the dirt and the grime and, the, and those wrinkles and blemishes, those things that we're ashamed of or afraid of and that we don't want anybody to see. And yet, here you are now, you're married, and the person keeps pointing these things out to you. This is bad, this is bad, this is ugly, this needs to change. And you're just like, ah! <laughs> and you just feel humiliated all the time, and you, you hear it, you don't want to hear it, and you just feel listening. and it, sometimes it creates hurt and anger and, and fights. But that's actually this, this collision with our, our dirt, And with our stains and with our deep fears and wounds, that is exactly what marriage is for. So someone can wash you. Someone can gently help nourish you. And um, so that's the first implication. If you think you're going to come in and you're not going to change, you're in for a big surprise. You need to change. And if you're in a marriage and you don't want to change, you keep saying, you're trying to change me. You're always trying to change me. Just stop saying that. She should change you. She is supposed to change you. Now, if your wife is constantly telling you what's wrong with you, your husband's always, I mean, come on, okay? But um, but they have a right to say these things. You don't have a right to say this to me. Absolutely, she does. You have no right to say it to me. Y- yes, he does. He has every right to say these things to you. Hmm. Um, let me say a, a second piece of application. You're, Please... You're not only going to let somebody in, you have to let them into the most dirty places, the most vulnerable places. The intention of marriage, as it says in Genesis chapter 2, the husband and the wife, the man and the woman were naked and they were unashamed. That's, the, that's where the marriage is supposed to go. Huh. And you're supposed to become utterly naked. We're not just talking physically naked. And, and by the way, you shouldn't become physically naked in front of anybody else until you get married. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why sex is only for marriage. It's the only place where you can be that safe, where someone will not cut you and then run away, will not abuse you and then run away, run away which is what our culture does. We, we use and abuse, and then we just drop people like they're just nothing, like they're Kleenex. Right? That's, how we, that's how sex happens in our culture. But you're supposed to not only let somebody in, let them into the most vulnerable places to become fully naked. And if you are touchy and you're sensitive and you never want to ever let anybody into that thing, you're frustrating your marriage. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. That's where marriage is supposed to go. So first, um, you, you have to Change. And two, even more so, let, some, let your spouse into those deepest, darkest, most vulnerable places. And we need, ch- we need help. Sanctification is a hard thing. And we don't like growing, and we don't like giving up our sins. We don't like giving up, we don't like facing our fears and those dark places and those ugly places and letting that up. And yet we need help. And your spouse is there to help you. And then let me offer you one more application, implication. This is sort of like a corollary to the second one. Um, If you're willing, if, let me just put it to you this way. If you don't ever, if your spouse doesn't ever tell you what's wrong with you, maybe it's because they've given up. Maybe it's because they've given up. Because the last time they brought up the subject, I mean, you basically had a complete fit, and they were like, "Whoa, okay, I don't need to go to that anymore." Or the last time you brought the subject, um, it hurt, and so then they pulled out a knife on you. You so you didn't realize that that was such a sensitive place that that was like a, a knife touching a really wound, and so then they you pull you 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 gave me a verbal wound. I'm gonna they start pulling out the knives on you. <laughs> now. I know that happens, and it will happen in marriage. So I'm not trying to scare you. If <laughs> those of you who are single, but it will happen, and it's actually needed. But if your spouse never says anything to you anymore about how you need to change, it's probably because you stopped. You just you 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 stop listening. You stop receiving. And here's an acid test that I want to offer you as to whether you're really truly letting that person into those those soft, vulnerable places in your life, right? It's this. One of these times, you're going. they're going to bring something up, and you'll be hurt, and you'll become angry, and it'll start a fight, okay? So this is going to happen. And so there's a fight, and for those of you who are married, well, of course it's going to happen. It's happened many times, Pastor. Yes, you already know, okay? So you have a fight. Both of you say, you did this, Eh, this is what's wrong with you. If you need a change. And then the other one, you know what the other person can say? No, it's you who need a change. If you're like this, this is like if you need this, then this will this will m- make it work. After they say that, if you can say this, then you know you can you really have swallowed this. After the fight is over, you own what they said you did. Not just always thinking they're, it's their problem. You heard I hurt you. And then you can go and say these, which I think are the three most important words of marriage. This is one of the things I like to say in my premarital counseling. The three most important words in marriage are not, "I love you." <laughs> Everybody knows you're supposed to say those words. It is, "Please forgive me. I hurt you." Right? "Please forgive me." And you have to mean it. If you never say, "Please forgive me," I'm sorry." And by the way, for all of you singles, you date a guy or you date a gal, and they never say "I'm sorry." They never say "Please forgive me." You probably don't, you don't want to marry that person. <laughs> you don't want to marry that person. That's 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 that is a very bad marriage candidate. I'm serious. They're probably going to end a divorce because that's a pattern. They're probably if that's a pattern, they're going to keep into the marriage. That marriage is going to end. But if you're married and you're touchy and you're always Keeping you out. Keep you out. But then they come in. You'll know that you're really letting someone in when you have the fight. And then you can say this, please forgive me. And those words, by the way, the reason I think they're even more important than I love you is if you can lay yourself down and own your wrong. Now you finally, she pointed out your dirt. And now you actually see it, and you own it, and you're willing to say, please forgive me. And you know what I just did? Now you let it be washed. You let her wash you. And now she knows that if you're willing to do this, she'll go, wow, you truly love me. Every husband and wife, when they go through that, that reconciliation, that's what, really what it is. is—is recognizing the sin and the dirt, repenting from it and then reconciling of it and if you can't go through that pattern what's going to happen is the dirt's going to pile up the marriage is going to get stinkier stinkier and the person's going to get angrier and angrier because this marriage stinks there's all this horrible stuff piling up and it's going to cause deeper and deeper fights and you don't reconcile and you do not resolve these fights it's it's a really you're going to cause deep deep problems so please, please hear me. This is very important. This is how washing happens in marriage. Please forgive me, okay? Let's go to part two. The power of the covenantal voice. Um, so uh, all this stuff about the covenantal voice, I, get, I got from Keller, right? So this is all Tim, Timothy Keller, Pastor Timothy Keller. But this is really funny. He didn't even um, get it. This isn't his stuff. He learned it from somebody else. And so he read a paper when he was at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. This is when he was in seminary. He and his wife read this paper. And it was such a profound paper. Um, so he read it from a guy. I think this guy's a pastor now, too. His name is Arvin Ingelson. By the way, just a little dirty secret. This is what pastors do. We all just kind of like crib and learn from each other, okay? Um, and then sometimes, of course, I crib from like pastors who died up, you know, or 400 years ago, okay? So, um, but here's what Arvin Ingleson said in this paper. And I've never heard anybody else teach this, and I think it's so important. I've been thinking about this for 18 plus years of marriage. And here's what he said: He said that marriage is recreational. Marriage is recreational, and what? And he goes on to say that your life, your self-perception, your self-image is a series of verdicts from other people in your life. Does it make sense? So there's something in your how? How do you look at yourself? Well, I'm a really good person. I'm a really smart person. Why do you think that? Well, because somebody told you this. Somebody that really matters. Somebody whose voice, whose wisdom, whose knowledge, whose authority you respected. <laughs> that person has authority over you. And when they said, you're a good person. You're a valuable person. Then you believed it. And you know what you started to think? After you believed it, then you started to feel... I'm valuable. I'm solid. There's something about me that has worth. Usually it's probably your parents. And so this is what covenant is. God puts people in our lives and they're bound to bless us and serve us in certain ways. Your parents are obviously one. Your brother and sister are covenantally bound to you. This is why I mean, it's, it's it's really interesting. Even in a secular society today, people feel like I hate my mom and dad, but then like years later, then they feel a longing to go reconcile with their mom and dad. Why? Because they're covenantally bound to them. God put a word saying you are, you belong to one another, and the people who have that kind of authority and say they have had certain verdicts—some good, some bad—and. That's what's how you see yourself, all those verdicts, all the compilation of all those verdicts in your life is how you perceive and see, have your self-image. And it goes both ways. If the people in your, if these important voices in your life said that you're stupid, you're ugly, who'd ever want to be with you? Whoever wants to hire you? If they said those things... That verdict is ringing in your mind, and that's how you see yourself. <laughs> it goes both ways. And, and when you get married, and this is what it means in the Bible when it says a man shall leave his father and mother, what he's talking about is he's covenantally, she, the father and mother had this incredible authority and power to shape you as you were growing up. And by the way, this is even true if your father or your mother left. You have people whose um, dad abandoned them when they were like two or three years old. So they really had no real relationship with their father. Haven't spoken to their father, don't know their father. And yet their father leaving was their voice, a covenant voice upon you. You weren't worth staying. And that's what they heard. And for the rest of their life, it's, it's like a bleeding wound about who they are. This is going on in our society. But when a man marries, and marries a wife, he leaves his father and mother, and I'm not just talking, it's not just physical leaving, he's supposed to leave their power and authority over over who he is and shaping his self-image. And now, you're giving your spouse, your husband or your wife, now this same authority and power to shape you. (laughs) That's That's what the washing portion is. The husband and wife has, has authority to wash and speak into the deepest parts of your life. But this is the part that we also underestimate. With that authority, they also have power. This <laughs> power is very serious power. Now, other people, when they, have, uh, when they give you an opinion about you, not everybody matters, Right? <laughs> Not everybody matters, right? Your friend just says, you're dumb. You're like, you're dumb. <laughs> and you just go, whatever. you just ignore it. And you don't care, right? But if your dad says you're dumb, that's a different story. Your dad says you're dumb. Maybe he even just said it in a flippant way. You're dumb. It says, it's said to you when you're like six years old. And you're still thinking about it when you're 60 years old. That's the power. Because that's not anybody's voice. It's covenantal power. And if it's said well, it has power to destroy. It has also power to do tremendously to build you up. So much of who you are, you don't know, that so many other people's, their voice built you up and made you who you are. And now, when you get married, your husband or your wife has this tremendous power to reshape you and reshape how you think about yourself. And so um, think about this. If a, if a father were to say to his, his, his son, you're dumb. You're not going to amount to anything. Actually, now a person's husband could actually rechange that. No, your father was wrong. I know you more deeply than your father. I've walked with you. I've known you in the deepest place. Your father is wrong. Your father was so wrong, you're a wonderful person. You're a smart person. You're the most wonderful person I've ever met, and I want to be with you and walk with you forever. That verdict can utterly change you. That's the power of the covenant voice. Now, let me, let me say a couple things um, if, uh, of application about this. Um, Number one, let me give you two pieces of advice about this. This is so powerful, you have to use it very, very wisely. You could use it to do, if you affirm your spouse, you see all the good things in your husband or your wife, you affirm and you keep building that up You tremendously. That power is so great, you can help them become a whole new, stronger new person, renew them. But you can also destroy them. You could hurt them. They, you have an access into their nakedness. They, they, you know their deepest, most vulnerable places. And if you use that power in a poor way, you could really kill them, quite frankly, kill them. Die from the inside, and they might die. <laughs> so let, let me give you some pieces of advice. Number one, I got this from when I was a, a newlywed, right after I had married. My senior pastor at the time was a guy named David Chung. Actually, he was one of the senior pastors of this church uh, many, many years ago. I was a very young man, and um, one day, this is you know, kind of what it's like. You're, you're in the office, and you start talking, and he asked me, Hey, Susan, how's marriage going? And then I, I was telling him something that was kind of like grinding on me from, about, from my wife, something that that a difficulty we were going through. And um, I expect him to sympathize with me, but that's not what he did. <laughs> Instead, he said, let me give you a good piece of advice, Husan. <laughs> he says, the next time you want to say something critical to your wife, why don't you wait two days? <laughs> I was like, this was my reaction. Two days? Okay, can't wait two days. <laughs> and then, of course, he knows exactly that, that, what, uh, what he goes like. And if you can't wait two days, <laughs> that was like his very next sentence. That was, I was like, you can't wait two days. And he goes, and if you can't wait two days, how about wait two hours? Okay, okay. You can't wait two hours? Wait even thirty minutes. Just shut your mouth. Huh. Wait even thirty minutes. Try it. And here's what I found. You know, you, you know, your your wife says something, and,
0: and
1: she's so wrong. I have to just correct her right now, <laughs> right? I mean, and 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 for those of you who are married, you guys, do you do this? I mean, this is what I do. She says something that makes me, or she does something that upsets me, and then I start like mounting all my arguments. You know, like you know, like I'm pulling out all my all my weapons. <laughs> so then I, she's gonna say this, and then when she says this, that's her defense. Then I'm gonna like this. I'm gonna pop down that defense, and I start thinking about all these things, and I'm like having, I'm like getting angrier and angrier as I'm like having this debate with my wife. Before I, I haven't even had this debate, but like I'm having this debate. But just if you wait. Here's one of the things I've found. First, whatever it is that upset you, it cools you off. You get cooled off. And then you can be a little more sane. And maybe the Holy Spirit will be merciful to you and go, remember what she said this? That's that's a really serious point, isn't it? Or maybe, you know, he's going through something really, really hard right now. He's really not at his best. You can't believe those things he said. He couldn't have possibly have meant those things. He's saying it from the worst place right now, and he would never say those things to you. So it can cool off. Maybe, what, ha- what this has happened to me so many times, as if I just waited, I found that sometimes after you just wait, you find that you don't need to say it. <laughs> or sometimes you find, you realize, maybe I this does need to be said, but you know what? It doesn't need to be said today. Or maybe I can wait. I can wait till that time when she's like in a good mood and she's totally listening to me and, and now I can try to say it. And you can marshal your mind to say it in the most gentle way, the way it can be received. So that's one piece of advice I'd give you. Be very reluctant to say harsh things. And if you do need to say them, and we all do need to say them, just wait. Just Stop. And ask the Lord to lead you. How can you say it better? How can you convey it better? Great piece of advice from David Chung. And it, it has saved. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not that great a husband. And I've started many stupid fights. But, um, you know, he, he saved me from like 100 others. Okay? That we didn't need to have. Um, a second piece of um, implication advice that I want to give you is this. Um, so a buddy of mine... He, he's he's kind of nerdy and he likes to do research. And so he read some sociological research and he says, in a healthy marriage, So he re- this is what a what, what a what a what a strange guy is. He got a, became a newlywed and then he started studying how to become a better husband. You guys, any of you guys you ever do that? Any of you study? How to, this guy actually did this. And then he shared this insight. He says, I read this study, Su Song, and they say that in a in a healthy marriage, there are ten times there are ten affirmations for every criticism. There's like 10 really good things said for one tough thing said. And I remember, him, I remember reading this in the email, and went like, oh crap. <laughs> I'm, I was thinking, I'm lucky. Maybe, maybe I'm two for one. <laughs> I was thinking, maybe I'm two for one. If I'm going good, maybe I'm three for one. I, I honestly don't know if the right ratio is supposed to be 10 to one. But you guys get the idea, right? Who cares what the, what the exact math is? What I'm letting you know is, it should powerfully be on the affirmation side. You need to pick up a habit in figuring out ways. Is your wife a good cook? Is she great with the kids? Is your husband smart at work? Is he patient with you? Um, uh, Does he just smell really nice after you put on that cologne? Do you like your wife when she wears that particular dress? You know, it just kind of like rides up a certain way, and you're like, yes. <laughs> okay? Um, why don't you say it? Why don't you say it? Say it. And then say it again. And then say it again. Right? You, you, you Presumably, you really like something about this person. <laughs> presumably, you like something about this person, and so that's why you married this person right and so you're going to go through seasons. And whatever your wife or your husband did that disappointed you, maybe even really hurt you. And that thing is just like a flaming, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a stinging wound. And that just feels like that's just the biggest thing that you notice all the time. But actually what you ought to do is think about all the good things, little things and big and everything in between that you appreciate and say them. Think about them, and again, and again, and again, right. um, I, I Some of you, this is really interesting. I, I just want some of you have talked to me about your marriage, okay? And some, sometimes um, you, you talk to me because your marriage is in big trouble. <laughs> and sometimes you're just talking just to talk. And you say, I really like this about my wife. And I always wonder, do you say that to your wife? This is what's really cool about my husband. Duh, 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 duh. And then you do a little bragging about your husband. I always love that. Why don't you say that? A lot. Um, let me give you a couple examples about uh, the power of this. So, um, first, let me talk about the positive. And uh, I, I hope this doesn't sound like bragging. It's not about bragging, it's mostly about my wife. Okay? Um, my wife is. If, if if our marriage is good, it's because it's like eighty percent grace and twenty percent me, and and that might be a low estimate, <laughs> all right. Um, but there's this thing that my wife and I do. So look, some of you are going like, I'm not a really lovey-dovey. I don't say these romantic things. I mean, my wife and I, I. I'm not a lovey-dovey romantic guy. My wife is a romantic person, but I'm kind of a I'm, I'm kind of a clod when it comes to those things. Okay, and. Um, and I, we're not the kind of couple that like goes on a date and stares at each other and go, you're the most beautiful. Uh, I mean, come on, come on, you know. Like, I'd rather just puke before I do that. Okay, <laughs> so I'm not. I, we don't do that kind of thing. Um, but what we do is, so we we have a certain banter, and you can't just start this. I don't know how we started this. Okay, my wife knows that I have like this little bit of a biting, ironic sarcastic sense of humor. And you guys know this too, right? I have this like brightening, sarcastic sense of humor. So she started saying things like, to me like this. She started saying, you're so mean. Why are you so mean? <laughs> you are a mean man. <laughs> she says, you, you cause problems. You are a problem-causing man. So that's what she calls me. She, You're the problem-causing man. And then you, it's like, why are you? Like, why are your socks on the floor? You are a problem-causing man. And, and it said, but she says it with this sweetness underneath. And and then she goes, why are the socks on the floor? And I go, because I'm a problem-causing man. <laughs> and then she just starts laughing. <laughs> and that laughter, it's like music to my ears. And um, it's weird, because when she says I'm being mean, she she says it. She says this. It's kind of like a sarcastic way of saying, you're mean. But she's saying it in a kind of sarcastic, ironic way, which means... but it's not that bad. I can take it, but it's a signal. I'm like, ooh, maybe I should be a little more attentive, a little more gentle. And it's her way of using her covenantal voice gently so I can hear. This bothers you. This bothers you. And, you know, there's other things, too, like um, when my children were born, I knew that as their father, I had great power over their heart. Tremendous power. They're going to look to me, and they're going to say, "What Dad thinks about me is true." And so I, I, you know, it's it's weird. We we know how to do this with our kids, but we're so bad at doing this with our husbands (laughs) husbands and wives. And so I just started. Just saying, I would pick up my daughter and I would go, how oh, I love you, Laura. I, mean, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I wish I could go, oh, how I love you, Laura. And then I would find the little like crick, little spot underneath her neck. You know, she it was kind of she, you know, she had that baby fat. And I would you know like kiss her right anything, she'd go, ha 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 <laughs> right? and I would go, how oh, I love you so much. And I would say that like three, four five times a day. <laughs> Every day. And I would sing these songs, which my wife called the terrible songs. (laughs) And it would go, How I love you, Laura, girl, (laughs) Laura, girl, that I like very much, very much. I sang that song thousands of times to her. Okay? And to my boy, I, I I wouldn't say, oh, I like you. Instead, you know, he's a dude, you know. So so I would go up to him and while I stand there, I would put my hand on his head with a gentleness and a firmness and I would squeeze his shoulder like you belong to me. And I would affirm him. I do that all the time. Hmm. But we need to do this for our spouses. And so, like I'm not lovey-dovey so I would just do these things. So like sometimes uh, I would do something for my wife and I'd say, why'd you do that for me? And I would go, because I like you, <laughs> I just go. Because I like you. And the power works both ways. And then she she starts smiling. I could tell. It's like because I treat her like in that moment. I treat her like that 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 when we were dating, and I liked her, and I because I like her. My wife, or I know she. I love her. But a lot of times she needs to hear that I like her sort of like, you know, when, you know, like I'm a boy and you're a girl and I like you. <laughs> that whole like boyfriend, girlfriend, I like you. And so I tell her I like you. And then it starts, I can tell she's starting to get happy. <laughs> and there's this thing that my wife does for me, you know, so she, she says things to me like, you're so hot. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a genius. Song. you're a genius. Susang, you a genius. That's so how she it, you're a genius. You're so smart. And, and it's kind of like, it's, it's like all this irony and sarcasm in there. So you're like, you really mean that? Let me tell you something. I don't know if she actually fully means it, <laughs> but I don't really care. <laughs> so I just go, somewhere deep down, she kind of believes this. <laughs> she kind of believes this, all right? And you know what? That's enough for me. It's actually great. She kind, if, if she even kind of believes that I'm really actually a genius and I'm, I'm really hot, it, it's really weird. It makes me happy every time. <laughs> and this is the power of the covenant voice. And this banter, I, 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 we don't need a lot of fancy dates. We, 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 we just do this banter a few, a few times a week, <laughs> and our marriage is like charging up. This is how we do it. So I'm not trying to like boast about our marriage, it's just how we do it. <laughs> and this is the, the interaction of the covenantal voice. Now let me tell you another story. It can go the other way. It's very powerful. Um, <clears throat> many years ago, uh, there's a couple that we're really close to. The husband is a pastor, you know, obviously she's a pastor's wife. And um, the way they met, they had kind of a whirlwind dating. So they met when he was in seminary. She was a really godly woman she had this very intense conversion t- to faith. She came from a non-Christian family. She had a lot of, like, body self-images, although she's a pretty person. And, um, and she, to- she shared, you know, I remember after her testimony, how she shared that she used to have eating disorders. And at times she felt suicidal until she met Jesus. Right? And then she, of course, started really liking the godly dude, the, 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 the guy who wants to be a pastor. And uh, they had this, you know, they, they had this kind of intense romance. And then they wanted to get married. And they thought they would get married a year on out. But she wanted to start going to se- um, seminary. This is Gordon Conwell Seminary, which is one of the best seminaries in the country. And that's where he was going. And she wanted to go to so she could grow and serve the Lord. And they found out, I don't know if they still do this, but they found out that um, if you're married, you only have to pay one tuition. It's two for one whoa <laughs> right so they were like so all of a sudden the one year marriage plan turned into like a month and a half engagement <laughs> and they got married like the next month and when they told us they're getting married the next month, we're like are you crazy <laughs> and that's but they did they pulled this marriage off really fast but they weren't ready um i, I can't give you their names i'm gonna give you i i know like the, i'm 99 sure that, that i could You know, I could just name them, and they'd be fine with me telling the services. I didn't ask. I'm I'm just going to call them Jim and Shannon, okay? So Jim and Shannon, like, this one, Grace and I were dating. I remember this was one of the last cool things. You know, we we went to their wedding, and then I moved out to the West Coast, and so Grace and I had to long, we were long distance for um, nine months. And about nine months later, I got to go back. And to our old church. And I was saying, saying, hey, where's Jim and Shannon? Where's Jim and Shannon? And they're like, they weren't at church. And people were telling me, oh, Susan, their their marriage is in serious trouble. And um, Jim is sick. I said, really? He said, you should call him. You're close to him. I think he'll meet with you. So I gave him a call. We had lunch. We sat down. This is a guy who's about five foot six and weighed 140. And what I saw shocked me. He had lost 30 pounds (laughs) in nine months. And he had two ulcers. (laughs) And I'm looking at him, and the voice was the same voice, but his face had gotten emaciated, so he didn't even look like the same guy. It it was really that shocking. And we're over, over lunch, which he barely ate, and I asked, what happened? And he says, well, when Shannon and I fight, sometimes I say things that hurt her. And since she knows my vulnerable, the most vulnerable things, she knows exactly what to say to really hurt me. It's like being stabbed to the heart. And then, of course, when she does this to me, I pull out my knives and I go after her. This is what it's been like for these last nine months. On and off. I was floored. Huh. And I prayed for him that day. And I told him this story about this other couple. And he said, it helped. I hope it helped. <laughs> but years later, something worked. I don't know if it was me. I'm sure it wasn't just me. I'm sure it was lots of other people. They, um, their, their marriage, I thought their marriage was on the brink of ending. <laughs> but they They lasted. And years later, we would get together with them, and they, they have a wonderful marriage today, actually. They a, they're, they're, they're a wonderfully married couple. And um, so this is, you know they got married a, about a year before us, so they've been married 19 plus. They're going 20 years now, okay? And so um, I, I remember talking to Shannon about what, what it was like back then, and she said, so later on, you, you, you know, years later, she told me, Susan, this is what it was like. We had this fight that was so bad. <laughs> I screamed at him, I hate you! I can't stand you. We're gonna get a divorce. I'm gonna divorce you. And then she, and then you know what he said to that? Good, because <laughs> I can't stand you. Good, riddance. Let's divorce. She ran out of the house. <laughs> ran out of the house. And then here's what she told me happened. So this is like like ten years apart. I heard heard his story and then her story like ten years apart. She says. I was uh, out, you know, I was just so upset, and I was crying and crying, and I I was completely, totally going to divorce him. And then this thought came into my mind that God hates divorce, (laughs) and God curses those who break covenant. And She said, I was afraid of God. (laughs) She said, Susan, the only reason I went back (laughs) was because I feared God. That was the only reason. I was like, that's pretty good. And she went back. He didn't really want her to leave. It's just the really horrible, demonic, demonic, satanic things you say. And that's exactly what the devil's trying to get you to do. You get hurt, and he's trying to get you to use your covenantal voice and stab your spouse right in the heart because that'll end the marriage or at least on the road to end the marriage. But she went back, and they were renewed. <laughs> now, let me close this message. How, do you, how are you renewed? Marriage will beat you up. <laughs> it's scary to let somebody touch those vulnerable, hard places, and they will. And um, first, you must be renewed. And I told you at the beginning of this series, there's three people in the marriage. (laughs) And that third person is Jesus. And marriage is actually built on the structure of salvation. The structure of salvation is covenant. That you would bind yourself together under God. That's the structure. And the covenant is built so that there'll be a flourishing of love and of holiness and of beauty. That's the purpose. And so marriage is actually built on the very pattern of salvation itself. And so, how are Jim and Shannon renewed? It was like this. They remembered that Jesus, if you become a a Christian and you give your life over to Jesus, here's what you are taught: (laughs) that Jesus covenanted himself, he united himself to a bride. In Ezekiel, we read this in our, in our, some of you read this anyway, in our devotionals. It says that God looks at, looked at his bride, and she was in the ditch and filled with dirt, and she was bleeding out. And he rescued her and bound up her wounds, and he cleansed her, and he made her radiant. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what Jesus has done for you. We come before him. To Jesus, we're all his bride. And he come, we come before him. And he, he came to wash us. And he, said, and he pointed out, this is what's wrong. This is what's killing you. This is what's bad. And then you know what we did? No way! We ignore Jesus. We reject him. We fight him. Heck, maybe we stab him. And which is why... He came to show when God comes to love a horrid, terrible people, he will come and bleed, which is why Jesus bled on the cross. And so he did this for us, and he let himself, he let us stab him and bleed him. And then, and then he won us. And then he washed us, and he healed us, and he forgave us. Did he just forgive you once? Did he forgive you twice? Did he not forgive you 70 times 70? Did he not forgive you 70 times 7,000? And then, didn't he start doing things like this? He started using a covenantal voice and started speaking into your life, saying things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. (laughs) You'll be made glorious, and I'll be there for you. Isn't these the things that Jesus says to us? And so first we must be renewed. And then you go into your marriage. And maybe it's been a long, hard day of marriage. <laughs> and I don't know if we're going to make it through tomorrow's day of marriage. And I want to speak, especially say this to those of you, maybe where your marriage is hurting or in trouble. It's been really flat and dry for a long time. Be renewed the great bridegroom and listen to his covenantal voice, how he affirms you, how he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I'll always adorn you and clothe you and renew you. And when you hear that from him, then tomorrow, because you have been renewed, now you can be a renewer. And you can use your covenantal voice toward your husband and you can let your wife into and let her begin to wash you. And as you do this to her, she'll begin to say, you know, this, this is so amazing. Like even when one couple, one of the two spouses is hard, their heart starts getting hard. This is how, just as the Lord broke down the hardness of our heart, <laughs> this is how you can begin to break down the hardness of your spouse's heart when your heart gets soft and renewed by the covenantal voice of Jesus. So I pray, this is not talk. It is not just preachiness. It's not theory. This is real. I've seen this. (laughs) It happened with Jim and Shannon. I've seen this in many other couples. And and their fight was really bad. I've heard it even worse. (laughs) And I've seen couples come back and their lives sing, and they become glorious, new, beautiful people as their husband and their wife renews them like Christ renews them. This is the promise of the gospel. Let's pray. A deaf and blind people are we. Deaf to our wife, deaf to my husband, and certainly deaf to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did not see all our dirt and our wrinkles and smell our stink, the stench of our sin and pride and hard-heartedness and then run away. We thank you that you did not divorce us and run away. (laughs) Instead, you bound yourself to us and you spoke beautiful words to build us affirm us, renew us with that ever most powerful, covenantal voice. I pray now. I want to pray right now for marriages who are hurting, maybe deeply hurting, maybe dying. I pray that today right now they would hear your voice Lord Jesus first, the great bridegroom. And remember your promises. And remember your steadfastness. And remember your forgiveness. And remember this promise that in you, with you, that they can learn to have a new covenantal voice. They can be washed and washing. And their marriage will one day radiate and sing. This is your will. This is your plan. This is your power. This is what you do. Thank you for loving us this way. And we pray that you would love many marriages and a lot of wounded people through your power in this word in Jesus name